The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Welcome to the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, where we explore nighttime dreams, daytime desires, and the best ways to transform the tragic into magic. Because let's face it, we all dream, we all have our blessings, and we all have our challenges, myself included. And I don't want any of us to take any of those things lying down, if you know what I mean. I just wrote a book entitled, A Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste. It comes out spring of 2023. And in the meantime, I'm excited to explore the topic with you, whether it relates to your waking or sleeping dreams, because we're dreaming all the time, people. So let's make it the best dream possible. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Welcome everyone to today's show. I am so excited to interview the amazing Amy Newmark of the Chicken Soup for the Soul Universe. This is going to be so what we need right now. We're going to be talking about her latest book, Your 10 Keys to Happiness. We're going to unpack this. Let me first introduce Amy Newmark to you. Here's a little bit about this amazing woman. She's the best-selling author, editor-in-chief, and publisher of the Chicken Soup for the Soul book series. Since 2008, she's published more than 182 new books, most of them national bestsellers in the U.S. and Canada, more than doubling the number of Chicken Soup for the Soul titles in print today. She's also the author of Simply Happy, a crash course in chicken soup for the soul advice and wisdom that's filled with easy to implement practical tips for enjoying a better life. Amy is credited with revitalizing the chicken soup for the soul brand, which has been a publishing industry phenomenon since the first book came out in 1993. I remember that year specifically. I remember Jack Canfield coming into Agape and hearing about chicken soup for the first time and being so blown away by compiling inspirational and aspirational true stories curated from ordinary people who've had extraordinary experiences. Amy's kept the 28 year old chicken soup for the soul brand fresh and relevant. Amy graduated magna cum laude from Harvard University, where she majored in Portuguese and minored in French. Then she embarked on a three-decade career as a Wall Street analyst, a hedge fund manager, and a corporate executive in the technology field. She's a chartered financial analyst, 
her return to literary pursuits was inevitable as her honors thesis in college involved traveling through Brazil's impoverished Northeast region, collecting stories from regular people. She's, de she's delighted to have come full circle in her writing career from collecting stories from people in Brazil as a 22 year old to three decades later, collecting stories from the people for Chicken Soup for the Soul. When Amy and her husband, Bill, the CEO of Chicken Soup for the Soul, are not working, they are visiting their now oh, their four grown children and their five grandchildren as of today. You can follow Amy on Twitter at Amy Newmark. Listen to her free podcast, the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play and the podcasts app on iPhone by using your favorite podcast app or on other devices. And I just want to say one thing on that. I noticed with so many of the other podcasts I listen to, when I'm in certain areas, it'll just cut out because of connectivity, but I'm never, I never cut out on the chicken soup for the soul podcast. It's always, it always plays, even if I'm in a place where there's no Wi-Fi. So there's something magical and mysterious about whatever you're doing. And I don't know. Oh, you know, it sauce. was that, that chip I installed in your head after that's I gave it. you that bottle of wine that day. Oh, that's it, Amy. Yeah. I'm always plugged into you. you oh my are. God. That was a good bottle of wine. That was a really good, I could use another one of those right about now. Okay. So tell us about this book, your latest, your 10 keys to happiness, which is something that we need right now. I would say maybe more than ever. I need it personally more than ever. I'm so loving this book. So how did this come to be? Well, first of all, I think the time is right because there's so much that we can't control right now. I think we all feel so helpless about what's going on out in the world. And no matter how much you try to be involved, you just can't necessarily affect a change, but you can still be in control of yourself. And you're allowed to be happy, even if there are upsetting things going on. Ooh. You're always allowed to, to be happy, even in a world that's in turmoil. So I feel like it's a time when we all need to make a fresh start, do a little reboot. And, you know, I have this very analytical background, Wall Street analyst and all of that. And so yeah. my approach to self-help, as you know, from us working together on our dreams books, I have this very practical approach, you know, I know we always, we always talk about how like you're in Southern California and I'm totally not. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, totally not. We're, we're not all, I don't know, nicey nice. And, you know, so I'm like really, really practical when it comes to self-help. So yeah. what, what I've done over the 14 years I've been editor in chief is I've read tens of thousands of stories from people who have really bared their souls and they really share what works and doesn't work in their lives. And I've taken all that information about what works and I've synthesized it into these 10 keys to happiness. And I use all of these myself and they all work beautifully. But the cool thing is you don't have to do all 10. Even if you just read one story and follow one piece of advice from one of the chapters of the book, it will be life-changing. And so that's what I love about this. I'm presenting you with 101 stories all kinds of great ideas that you can use, but you can pick and choose. You could roll them out over the course of a year if you want. 
you can just use this in whatever way you want to improve your life. Yeah, it's interesting. In the introduction, I was really, I mean, I, I already knew that you read all the stories that are submitted and you, and you, and you highly and heavily curate the stories that end up in the chicken soup for the soul books. And even in our two books, dreams and premonitions and dreams and the unexplainable, I got to be in that process with you. And there were so many, I mean, I don't know, I want to say maybe nearly a thousand submissions and to boil it down. Oh, it was to, more I, than that. It's usually okay. thousands of submissions for each book. And I read for each book. I used to read all the submissions. Now I'll read hundreds of submissions for each book. But if you look at all the books that I've published, plus I read all the old Chicken Soup for the Soul books, it's probably 30,000 stories that I've read. No, it's interesting you brought up the two Chicken Soup for the Soul Dreams books that we did mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. So when I think about those books and the lessons that were in those Dreams books, those dreams, which came from people's subconscious, in my opinion, at least most of the time, yeah, really, they really delivered the same messaging that I'm delivering in this book about the 10 keys to happiness, because those dreams, people would have a dream about, hey, you should be grateful for what's in your life. Well, that's one of my keys to happiness. They'd have a dream about some unresolved issue with someone and how they needed to use the power of forgiveness to move forward with their lives. And that's that's one of my keys to happiness. They'd have a dream about pursuing their passion and changing their job. And that's in my 10 keys to happiness. It's amazing how all of the lessons that came from the dreams in our two books that we did together are the same lessons that I have in your 10 keys to happiness. But it always helps to read this stuff over and over until it finally gets to you or until you read the story that delivers the message to your brain in the way that you can ingest it and make it your own. And it's so interesting the way it's sort of the, the formula. And I don't mean formula, like as if it's formulaic, but it's like, it's the, they're told in such a simple way. Each story is always simple and it's always short and it's always heart-wrenching. And no matter what the story, I don't think I've read one story in any of your books that haven't made me cry that haven't given me that. <gasps> I mean, and some of them have made me sob because it's like, oh my God. And, and they stick with you. Like there's, there, I mean, not every single story can stick with you. I mean, my brain, I'm not rain, man. I'm not that smart to be able to have everyone stick, but so many of them do. And they've become such a part of me. It's like they're, they're in, they get all the way into the heart. So I just want to say just one last thing, because you you have curated this. I mean, if anybody knows what the 10 keys to happiness are, it's you because you've done the research, you've had, you've read the stories, you've combed through thousands and thousands And this book, your 10 keys to happiness is the 101 best stories that you, that you found, or maybe, I don't know if best is the right word, but it's the ones that feel the most appropriate to this topic. So this has been as curated curated as it could possibly get. So this is like, it should be just solid gold. It's, yeah. it's so, it's vibrant, it's pulsating. So let's talk about what the 10 keys are. Sure. Yeah. And in each of these keys, what I did was I started each, each key, I start out with a little introduction to that chapter telling you why that key is important and what you're going to read and the 10 stories that I've selected that best illustrate that key. Because yeah. this book is a little different in that I really felt like it was me giving back. It's kind of like my legacy, this book. 
Uh, so that's what this feels like. I mean, you've got a lot more books ahead of you, but I do feel like, oh my God, this is like, if of all the books, like get this one. Yeah, this if somebody is really- was like, yeah, but which one? It's like, just get this one. This is kind of like all of them in one and the best of. It's like the best of. It, it so. is. And, and it's, and each story really does illustrate how you could implement the key in your own life. So the first key yes. is to count your blessings, because if you are not fully aware and thankful for what you have, and you're just focused on what you lack, I don't see how you can be happy. And you know, I would say half of people are naturally thankful. I think you and I are naturally thankful people, but a lot of people are not, and they have a more pessimistic view and more negative view of life. And there aren't that many personality traits that you can change in yourself. But the interesting thing is this is one that you can change and it's really easy to change it. Like I started off the book with a story about somebody who was naturally pessimistic and she just wrote down one thing each day that had made her happy. And it could have been something simple like I picked the right line at the bank. You know, it could have been something like that or it could have been something more momentous. But we have other people who wrote down three things a day they were thankful for or five things a day. But even one thing a day, she found that it changed her life because it changed how she went about each day. She was looking for the good thing that she knew was coming so she could write it down in her book that night. And people have reported that if they do this, if they write down this gratitude list, which literally will take you one minute, if they do this every day after something like a week or two, they already find themselves changed. What I love about that, this first story, this one by Jennifer, Jennifer Quasha, um, the happy book is, you know, I mean, I've heard about, I, I, I write a gratitude list every day, but what I like about this is that it's about writing one sentence, just one thing. And that's like, oh, wow. So it causes the brain to have to cascade through and sort through all the things that happened that day. It's just, it's so smart. And it's so, like, anybody can do one thing, even if you're just breathing, if that's it. So it's so powerful. It's a tearjerker, actually. It's very emotional. I love that you start the book that way. So count yeah. your blessings. We could go on and on. We could do a whole five hour show on that topic by itself, but let's move to the second key. All right. So the second one is something I think we all need to work on. And that is to liberate yourself from past resentments and disappointments and use the power of forgiveness to set you on the path to move forward. So I began that chapter with a story from a woman who had been divorced for a while and yet couldn't let go and kept telling everybody all about her ex-husband, even perfect strangers. And then her best friend said to her, you might as well still be married to the guy. You take him with you wherever you go. I just thought that was so powerful. And it was such an eye-opener for her. She said, oh my gosh, I've made a prison for myself and locked myself inside it. He's, he's moved forward with his life. He's perfectly happy. What am I doing? So here's what I didn't understand until I started doing chicken soup stuff. I thought forgiveness, that thought the word forgiveness meant that you were letting somebody off the hook saying, oh, don't right. worry about it. It's okay. It wasn't so bad. That's not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness could mean that you can't stand that person. It could mean that what they did was absolutely reprehensible and you'll never change your opinion about that. What forgiveness means is that you've decided to intellectually know, yeah, that bad thing happened. 
yesterday or last week or five years ago. Yes, it happened, but I will no longer relive the negative emotions associated with it. And that's something that you can actually do. You can say, yes, it happened, but I'm not going to continue living those emotions. I will intellectually know that it happened. I don't ever have to see that person again if I don't want to. Right. But I don't, but if you relive the emotions, you're just letting that person have control over your life. So when she had that eye-opening epiphany from her friend saying that to her, she immediately used the power of forgiveness. And she said she felt light and buoyant. And after years of being stuck, she was finally ready to move forward. Again, we could do a 20 hour show just on this. This is this, I think maybe one of my favorite keys in um, your 10 keys to happiness. I, one of my role models is Eva, Eva Moses Kaur, who survived the Holocaust. And she did a whole thing about forgiving Dr. Mengele. And it was such a radical thing to like, and the whole notion, like you just said, forgiving isn't condoning at all. It's not co-signing with them. It's about liberating yourself. So you no longer have to live in that poison so you can be free. It's like setting that aside. And even Viktor Frankl has said things like, and I paraphrase obviously, um, but it's like to find meaning in that horrible thing that happened is what can start to actually make your life better. You can end up becoming grateful that you become who you are, not that you'd ever want to go through that thing again, but, mm -hmm. but these stories definitely point to that. And I love this first story so much. So now my next, my next key is to help someone else. And this yeah. could be something really, really minor, like letting the car that needs to turn in front of you go in front of you. Or it could be something really major, like doing major league volunteer work and you're giving three hours a week to, to the dog shelter or whatever it is. Wow. But the fact is when you do something altruistic, your brain creates dopamine and you feel better. And I know that um, therapists will actually prescribe volunteerism you know, to their depressed patients and say, go out and do some volunteer work. And it transforms people because all of a sudden they realize that they have value and that they can add value to other people's lives and, it, and they have a legitimate place in their community. And so helping someone else is another key to happiness. And it really can be incredibly minor. You don't have to become a volunteer if you don't have the time, but you know, help that lady who's in front of you at the grocery store and just empty her cart for her. Whatever it is, you'll get this rush of dopamine and you'll feel better. It's so true. It's so true. And I love the stories. I love the guy who, who jogs around the, the graveyards or the cemetery and he just cleans things up a little bit. And, and what a blessing he ends up being just doing something so minor. Like you said, you don't have to even, I mean, you can go out of your way, but you could just do what's right in front of you to do, to make the world a little bit sweeter and so touching. So yeah. let's talk about the next. So the have next one. Stuff. Yeah, the next one I think is like forgiveness. This next yeah. one is something that we all can use, have less stuff. So stuff is so emotionally weighty, you know? Like yeah. when you open up your closet and there's too much stuff in your closet, it's weighing you down. My husband and I, we moved. Um, I, don't, I don't even know if you know, we moved. I didn't know that. Yeah, we Amy. bought- You like didn't this, even consult me. I this. know, I know we bought this gigantic- <laughs> fixer upper. Um, and yeah, we've been renovating it for a year. 
Wow. But anyway, we moved, we moved in six months ago and we got rid of so much stuff when we moved. And then we got rid of so much more stuff after we moved. And the other day we were showing each other our closets. And they're like, look at my closet. Look at how much room I have. Look at all these empty hangers. And we were showing off to each other. We were both so thrilled to have less clothing. And I don't think we're ever going to go back to the way it was before because mm. I think we really learned that having less stuff, but stuff that's actually useful and meaningful and that you like is what matters. And so you can start with just a drawer. Just say, I'll do one drawer in the next week or I'll do one shelf in the closet. And what happens is you start to get better at it. And what I, what I say to myself, and it really helps me as I say, wait a minute, and I, am I holding on to something that someone else is blessing? Right. Why am I holding on oh. to this shirt in three colors when I only ever wear the blue one anyway? Why don't I give these other two shirts to somebody else? And I have this imaginary person in my head who's going to go to the church thrift shop and get my stuff. You know, and, oh. and I, so I, I actually have the person who's, who's getting it and I think about her. And, uh, and that makes giving it away really fun also. In fact, I won't even let them give me the tax slip because I say, no, if I get the deduction, it won't be as good. So I don't even go for the deduction. Right, right. Oh, that is such a beautiful thing. I love what you just said to think that you're holding on to what could be somebody else's blessing. Like, why yeah. would you want to do that? And that I like the idea of if you buy something and I haven't done this and I want to do this. Like every time you buy a new thing, you get rid of something or you give something away so that you keep the same amount of a few things. Wouldn't, I mean, that's what I'd like to do. Maybe after, after this conversation, that's what I'll start to do. Okay. Let's think about, let's talk about the next one. So the Key next one five. is to think positive and people are going to say like, oh, come on. Like it, I would think positive. If I had positive things to think about, you know, people will say stuff like that, but in this chapter, I show you how people can just think themselves out of the doldrums. And there's a story that I really love in that chapter that's so simple and so doable. It's by Farida Wolf. And she went to the post office one day and there was this ridiculously long line and she was gonna be late to the dentist. And so she was stomping her way back to her car when she finished at the post office. And then she saw this woman stomping towards her with this scowl on her face and Farida realized, oh my gosh, is that what I look like? And this, cause this woman was just, you know, bitter and angry and, and, and mad at the world. And, and Farida smiled at this woman and the woman just kind of stopped in place. And then her shoulders visibly relaxed and she smiled back at Farida. And then Farida felt really good because she had implemented tip number three, help someone else, right? But anyway, right. right. Wow, that was so easy. I have a smile with me at all times. All I have to do is use it. And then she spent the rest of the day smiling at people and she realized how much it changes the dynamics. So no matter what kind of day you're having, how bad your year is, what you're going through, if you smile at people, it will change how they interact with you. So this is me just being very practical. This is a very easy way for you to change how you move about in the world. Smiling at people makes a really big difference. Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. 
Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. That's such a great one. I, I think about my mom when she was, she always tells me about this time that she was really depressed and it was during a really hard time. And she, it was like the darkest of days and she was at the grocery store and out of nowhere, everybody smiled at her. And she, it's like, it's like they all got the memo somehow. And she left there feeling like it was going to work out. It was going to be fine. And all these random strangers couldn't have known. And she wasn't walking in with a smile. She wasn't generating it, but they had all kind of gotten the memo and it made all the difference, that simple act. So I'm personally very, very happy that, that about this story and about what, about the thinking positive yeah and then there's a bunch of other really easy to implement ways to think positive that i put in stories in that chapter now the next one yes this is the one where you get to be a little bit selfish but it's not selfish it is not selfish to make me time because you will be a better mother daughter spouse, friend, colleague, co-volunteer, whatever it is, you will be better at all of those relationships. You look better to the world if you just ensure that you make some me time for yourself. So I personally need me time every day. I need to read for at least half an hour at the end of the day before I go to sleep, no matter how tired I am. And other people need to meditate. Some people need to take a walk outside in nature. Some people need to bake something, but Whatever that me time is, whether you do it every day or you carve out a bit of time each week, you have to know that it's there for you. And there was a story that I put in that chapter that I loved. It's by Christine Byron. And she talked about how she was a Tupperware salesperson and she was really good at it. So her calendar got completely filled with sales calls. And also she was training all these other people because she became a manager. And she wasn't getting any me time and she wasn't getting any family time either, which I would call we time. And she was going to quit. She she was such a success that she was going to quit. And so she talked to her mentor and her mentor said, show me your calendar. And she said, well, I know what the problem is. You don't have any lily pads. So you know how a frog jumps onto a lily pad and just relaxes and gets some sun Well, that's the lily pad you have to put into your day. So she had Christine start putting fake appointments in her calendar, you know, a half hour here and there. And uh, Christine just called them Lily P, meeting with Lily P. But that's how she got back her sanity and was able to continue doing this, you know, very, very intrusive job that she was so good at, but that was dominating her life. So that's that's just super important that we all recognize that we deserve and we need that me time. Yeah. Like the old saying, like, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Exactly. (laughs) If I ain't happy, nobody in my world is happy. You know, if you don't have me time, you start resenting everything in your life. You don't want to be in a position where you're resenting the existence of your kids. Like you wanted to have them. 
or resenting your husband. <laughs> you wanted to have that husband. Exactly. You know? Your friends so, that are calling on you, do right. you want them, but you can't appreciate them if you're stressed out and you're maxed out. Yeah. Can't. Yeah. That's so important. And maybe one of the most challenging things to do, but one of the most important things we can do. So let's go to number seven. I know you know this one very well. So number seven is something that became a big part of my life when I turned 50. And my husband and I realized that we were by accident letting our lives get narrower. And, you know, we were participating less in new things and what was going on in our community. And we resolved to start saying yes to new things. And and we resolved to step outside our comfort zones. And... I've been doing this now for 15 years. I've been stepping outside my comfort zone. And so I've tried all kinds of things, you know, everything from something simple like trying avocados, even though I thought I hated them and now I like them. And then (laughs) big things like I wrote about, I wrote a story in the book about uh, running off a cliff in Oman, (laughs) a thousand foot cliff. It's so great. It was so insane. I was going to this resort and they said the cool guests arrived by paragliding in. And so I said, well, we're, we're going to do that. And so <laughs> we got to the top of the cliff and I would never jump out of an airplane because I'm afraid the parachute just won't work. Right. And I'm such an idiot. It never occurred to me that paragliding involved a parachute. <laughs> the guy's putting the harness on me. I'm at the top of the thousand foot cliff. You know, you look over it and it's a thousand foot straight drop down to the beach below. The wind and, could uh, change at any moment. Yeah, the wind could change. I mean, but they had they had almost canceled it, and then they said, "Oh, the wind got better, so you can do it." So that didn't inspire a lot of confidence. So I'm standing at the top of the cliff, and they're putting the harness on me, and I look behind me, and on the ground behind me is a parachute lying on the ground, just a piece of fabric with strings coming out of it. The same thing I always said I would never ever rely on. And then the guy said, "It only works if you run off the cliff. You have to run." He said. If you don't run and keep running, it won't work. Oh my God. And so you have to oh God. run and you have to run off the cliff because it's the only way the parachute <laughs> will fill with air. Luckily, I was harnessed to this big hulking guy, the guide. <laughs> that so helps. The big, big hulking guy is running off the cliff. So I'm running off the cliff too. I don't even think that me running mattered because he could probably have carried me himself. So anyway, I did it. And then you finally, did. after 15 minutes of sheer terror, we came in for a landing on the beach and I was done. Um, but you know what, because I did that, I then went on every scary, I went on every single roller coaster ride at um, Universal Studios, like even those oh really scary God. ones. Yeah, oh, I mean, wow, I there's a lot of stuff. scary ones, the Jurassic Park I know, I Park did every single the... one. Every oh single God. One. Because I just said, well, I jumped off the cliff in Oman, I could do this. So a now, real cliff. <laughs> Just, yeah, uh, so now I feel like I could do a lot of scary things. But here's the good thing about stepping outside your comfort zone. And it doesn't matter if you're trying an avocado or you're baking something new or, or jumping you're off trying a, cliff. a Sudoku puzzle or you're traveling to a foreign country or moving to Ecuador, whatever it is, when you do something new, especially if it's a little bit scary or difficult, you just feel so empowered and energized and you just feel reinvigorated. So I think that's another important key to happiness. Mm. And I know in, in one of our books, I think it was um, the chicken soup for the soul dreams and premonitions. There's the, the dream about the woman who jumps off the cliff or dreams that she's jumping off the cliff and lands splat. And it's still, there's 
if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. It makes you better. And there's so many things that happen. I think about that story all the time. <laughs> it doesn't always, it doesn't always work out. I mean, I once was in a hot air balloon in Mexico and it crash landed in a wild animal sanctuary. And oh we were, my gosh. Yeah. And it was incredible. I mean, we were only separated by a tiny little fence from the lions and I was right next to the giraffes and I got to have a, a little kiss on the head from a big, beautiful giraffe, but it was like, it became one of the most beautiful things, even though, I mean, we didn't crash hard. We crashed, but we weren't supposed to land there, <laughs> but it was talk about exhilarating. I'm still exhilarated to this day about that. So yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the next one. Key number eight. So the key number eight is to be yourself. So, so many of us, especially women are insecure and we're trying to be different than who we actually are. And we're not embracing our true selves, our body types, our abilities, our strengths and our weaknesses. So a lot of the stories in this chapter have to do with body image because that is such an overwhelming concern for almost everybody. Like there's a story from this woman, Maxine, who was always a big woman. Even as a girl, she was shopping in like the teen section when she was only eight years old. And she did that thing that women are told to do, wear black, it's slimming. And it was terrible. And one day she was at a store and she went up to the sales clerk with this big black tent that she was buying to go to a wedding. And the sales clerk said, I'm not selling you that. And she took Maxine back to look at the racks and she said, you're gonna wear that. And she showed her beautiful, bright pink shirt, colorful <sighs> flowers, all kinds of nice things. And she said, that's what you're supposed to wear. And Maxine completely changed what she was wearing and it changed her life because she <sighs> blossomed and became the exuberant, fun, interesting person that she always was. Oh, so, I you know, embrace that. yourself, be more of yourself. So that's- yeah. That's key number eight. Oh, so important. I love the idea to be you to full is beautiful. If you're being yourself to full. Yeah. Yeah. Now, key number nine is pursuing your passion. So you and I are lucky because we get to pursue our passion as part of our jobs, mm -hmm. but not everybody can. Sometimes you just have to do a, a job that puts food on the table yeah. and then pursue your passion outside of your job. Or sometimes yeah. you have to change your job. So there's a wonderful story from a man who was in banking for decades and he never liked it. He absolutely didn't like it at all, but it was a very good way to provide for his family. And finally, when his bank was moving and they said, well, we'll give you this great package if you move, he said, you know what? I'm not moving again for you. I don't even like being in banking. So he quit. Well, he, after a couple of years was bored and his wife said to him, you know, the job that you loved is the one you had as a kid when you worked in the produce section at a grocery store and there's a new grocery store opening up nearby. And I know they're looking for a guy to head up the produce department. And do you know that this former banker went there and he became the manager of the produce department and he was so happy. He was finally pursuing his passion after many decades of doing what he didn't want to do. Oh. God, that makes me so happy. That's so important. Yeah. And for people that can't even do what their, their passion is for their job necessarily, even if they just spend some time moonlighting doing, even if it's just five minutes a day working on their script or 
playing the drums or whatever that thing is, but incorporating that it's so important. Very it cool. And, and it's, it's really related to the making, making me time. But the fact is you do deserve to pursue your passion in at least part of your time. Yeah. And it gives to other people. It's not, it's the opposite of selfish. It fills you up so that you have more to give. Yeah. Okay. So now drum roll, please. Okay. So this is one that I think has become very obvious to us because of the pandemic, because I don't know if you remembered like spring of 2020, everybody was like, have you heard the birds ever singing this loudly before? Have oh you my seen God. the flowers on the trees ever this lush before? And I don't think it was any different than prior years, but we were all just noticing it because we were home and we were the only safe place we could go was outside and we took a lot of walks. So number 10 is get outside in nature. And the thing about getting outside in nature is that it gives you perspective. It helps you to see that you are just one tiny living being surrounded by millions of other living beings. And your problems aren't really that important because you go outside and you see squirrels running around and birds doing their thing. And they're all busy building their shelter, raising their children, obtaining food, procreating whatever they're doing. And that's just as important to them as whatever's going on in your life is important to you. And so I think that to get perspective, you need to get outside in nature as much as possible. And I put a bunch of stories in there that really support this and also a story about Shinrin Yoku, which is the Japanese term for forest bathing and oh. the, the absolute provenly, the scientifically proven health benefits of being outside among trees. In fact, they say, even if you're stuck in your office, if you look at trees, there are health benefits. Trees, trees for some reason are just like magic in our lives. And so I have that story in there and nine other stories that will absolutely motivate you to get outside in nature. Oh, I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday about this very thing, about all of these, in, in fact, really radical experiences of people who, who like couldn't walk or had paralysis or something, and they'd tried every medical treatment, and then they got into the ocean with the whales, or they got, or they were got into the forest, or they did something in the natural, like the natural world was what was the magic medicine for them that, that helped them. And there's so much research on this. It's, so special to even if we live in an urban environment there's some flower even a potted flower but it's like it i think it reconnects us with our own nature the part of us that is connected to this larger ecosystem so yeah. special yeah so, so i'm always outside in nature and i think that it's i can't live without it really can't i know i i'm a city girl i'm from east los angeles and i thought, oh, nature's fine on a vacation, whatever. But now in, in the last bunch of years, I've lived in Topanga Canyon. I'm surrounded by trees and squirrels and, and coyotes. And I go into the city and I'm like, how did I ever do it? Oh my God, I've become a, I've become a nature girl. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? But I, but I do know it calms me down. I mean, this is me calm. <laughs> this is, imagine me in the city. <laughs> oh my gosh. But Amy, okay, let's do a little recap of these 10 keys, your 10 keys to happiness. And I love that there's this cute little boy on the cover because it's like, this is simple. This is something yeah, this for is all of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can learn from him. <laughs> exactly. Our so, inner eight-year-old right. has all of it. So to recap, 
count your blessings for yourself with forgiveness, help someone else have less stuff, think positive, make me time, step outside your comfort zone, be yourself, pursue your passion, get outside of nature. You do not have to do all 10. All 10 would be fabulous. Just pick one and try it and it will absolutely change your life. I would just add number 11 is to just read at least one of these stories a day and that will make you happy. And I love, here's one thing, and then I'll, I'll wrap this up and we'll, we'll be on our way. But I love that this, your, the stories in this book don't all start so happy. And if they do start happy, there's some actual, it's almost like a Disney movie. Like Disney seems like it's going to be happy, but there's tragedy in those movies. There's always some murder, mayhem, like some horrible tragedy that there's this magical solution that shows up. There's always drama here. I mean, most of the people that that are that that write these stories start off talking about their pessimism or their dour attitude or that they they weren't necessarily happy, but they found some little key. They found their inroad. And I think that's part of what makes this so special because we can, it's like we all have that in us. Even if like you and I, we're kind of, I think we've created the muscle memory to just the muscle to just be happy and to be positive as often as possible. But I don't know. I think it's, it's wonderful to hear, especially going back to that first story about the happy book. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it can be so simple. So number 11 is read this book (laughs) every day. I suggest reading it in the morning and then at night before you go to sleep and let your dreams kind of be sandwiched by these by these wonderful thoughts and it
I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.